Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. Whoa, I'm excited for this one. I got to tell you, there are two words, and we were joking about this earlier before we got started. There's two words that strike fear in the heart of the civilians of the world. That wor- those words are attorney and marketer. <laughs> <laughs> and today, I'm talking to someone who is both of these. He is a licensed attorney. He is a digital marketing advisor, um, works with you know, an agency uh, that actually helps attorneys. We're going to talk about that. Um, so we're going to talk marketing. We're going to talk legal. He has podcasts. Uh, and that's in fact how I found him listening to one of his podcasts. Founder and president of Attorney Sync. Guy, welcome to the show, sir. Casey, thank you, sir. I'm so excited to be here. And um, what a great introduction. Um, uh, yeah, it is so funny to think about, but uh, maybe we'll talk about this a little bit later. But I never grew up thinking I was going to be an SEO or an attorney, and yet here I am. And so everybody's like, oh, gross. <laughs> Double gross. <laughs> Double gross. <laughs> but at the same time, that's probably why the majority of the people are listening, because we're going to clickbait the hell out of this title. Um, something crazy. But this is a great opportunity, right? Because not only do you understand law, but you also understand the context of marketing. And this is huge. There's a lot of people that understand one of the two. But the, the crossover is fantastic. Uh, and so the, the, that's really the theme for today is that marketing plus law plus legal, um, how, how that combines, and then you know, how, to, how to walk that tightrope or whatever it might be to just really have effective marketing. And so we're going we're gonna to throw all sorts of questions at you. I'd even ask my team ahead of time some questions, and we'll try to get to as many of those as we can as well. Can't wait. Hit me. Hit me. Bring it. All right, Cross-examination well, here. Yes, yes. I want the truth. <laughs> I'll try to, you can't, I don't know if you can handle it. Can everybody I, handle the I truth? Don't they don't want the truth. Probably can't handle the truth. But here you go. I'm going to pass this to you. This is Thor's hammer. Okay. So go ahead and grab got it. that. Oh, it's, yeah, got it's it. heavy, but you got that. Uh, it, go ahead and smash for me some kind of marketing myth, some bogus marketing strategy that you're hearing out there, maybe as it pertains to the legal world as well. Yeah. So uh, as you mentioned, we work uh, with a lot of attorneys across the U.S. And so uh, the the myth, and I've been smashing this myth now for 10 years, and I I still smash it because it still comes up, is that people don't use the internet to hire lawyers or professional services providers. Uh, I still hear that. I still hear lawyers. I still hear doctors say, "My, my patients, my clients don't use the internet to hire lawyers or their whatever field they're in. And I'm smashing it. It's happening. They do use the internet. They do. Everyone uses the internet. Right? Well, see, you know, I'm on, this, I'm on a marketing show where it's hardcore marketing and we've yes. got a sophisticated audience. I say that and people are like, well, that's not a myth. Everybody knows that. But I'm telling you, it's a, it's a myth, myth out there that people do hold still. Is it around the idea that there are some, there are some types of, leads, some types of customers that are just hard to get to, uh, the CFO for one, or attorneys, or pro- professional service uh, folks. Is I that just some of that? I, I think uh, there's, you know, traditionally, and, you know, the, I actually just did a talk that was called, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And, and the thing is this, 
for time out of mind, lawyers, professional services providers, but, but even to a certain extent, many other businesses as well, have known that people hire people based on the, their knowing them, liking them, and trusting them. Um, and that's still true to a certain extent. And, and we'll talk about that when we're talking about towing the line between legal and marketing and the intersection there. But right. the point here is, is that you still have to build that trust. We just have now these tools online to be able to create, nurture, and solidify professional relationships. Right. So I think it's hard for people uh, to embrace this. And, and, you know, again, I think I always keep trying to remind everybody is this internet thing's not that old in the grand scheme of things. Hmm. And so we're still figuring out, we're still figuring out social norms. We're still figuring out um, how are the ways that we actually use these tools to build trust, to, to gain attention uh, in, a, in a positive way that's good for business. And so I think the lawyers that are resistant to that, you know, they say, no, look, my clients, it's all word of mouth referrals. And I'm like, yeah, where do you think those word of mouth conversations are happening? Right. Where are they happening? Internet, Facebook yeah. Messenger, WhatsApp, Review email, apps. yeah, you know all the all these places that we know. But um, you know, private Facebook groups has been a huge one. These there's communities uh, that have organically sprouted up of lawyers that uh, refer to one another, and uh, you know, and share tips and tactics and tell stories and all the things that we've done in the past. Uh, you know, they're like the historical listserv, but now they're doing it in a private Facebook group, LinkedIn group. And these organic communities, like that's where the magic's happening from a um, networking, professional development relationship standpoint. So, uh, yes, I, and you know, the thing I always pull out, I pull screenshots of this all the time. I blur out the names, you know, protect the privacy of the people. Protect but, the innocent. Protect the innocent. But, um, you know, you see it. People are, if you go on Facebook right now and search for lawyer plus recommendation or something like that, you will see people actively asking, hey, I'm looking for a lawyer. Um, and if you yeah. go into these private Facebook groups, you'll see lawyers saying, hey, I, need a, I got a potential client in this area. I need, who's, do, who's doing this work? Who's great? So that, that instinctive no like, and trust is still there. You still want to make referrals to people that you can trust, but it's happening on the web. You know, what I like about this conversation is whether or not you market to sell to attorneys or doctors or someone in the healthcare space or the finance space, it almost doesn't matter because some of the, what this is showing is there are places where you just need to go find them and keep your eyes open. So I mean, I, you're right. I, I Googled uh, lawyer recommendation and I see some groups. I see some people I'm connected with. I need to file a utility patent. Um, you know, the person who wants 16 K, is that cool? Is there someone you would better recommend? Like there it is right there. You people are asking, and so you know, you're smart then as a marketer to, with your clients to help them be there when those questions get asked. Know your audience. Where, where's yeah. that audience? You know, that's what I always tell people too. I'm like, you don't have to be a marketing expert to realize. Just go, go stand outside and look around. You see all those people looking at their phones? What yeah. do you think they're doing? They are you know, playing Jewel Blitz. <laughs> that's all that's right it's all candy crush candy crush that's it that's the new one the new one is candy crush you know what's funny you never get to the end on that <laughs> that's that's part of the they, it's by no design <laughs> my mom has tried way. she's gotten pretty far uh 
it's funny and she's so far i don't even know what i can't even read the screen of what the I'm like why don't you just click there she's like no 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 those don't click anymore no you have to burn the chocolate to make the th and I'm like okay i'm out <laughs> i'm like basic level basic level guy wild so, okay, stuff so yeah it's, I, I always, what are the different places you're going to because this is like this is great like ideation in terms of where we could look for as well private facebook groups um knowing your audience where else is your audience how else what other things do you use to, to find them linkedin groups um you know well there's, there's step one is is to really i, I think the um the measure twice cut once really applies to this because i think as marketers we don't spend enough time on the research part. We jump in, we love to hypothesize and iterate and, and look at the data and uh, adjust our ads and change bids and uh, customize audiences. But before we get to all of that, the conversations about demographic information and psychographic information, market research, uh, really getting into the mind of our target audience, I think we could we could we'd be better served spending more time there. Mm. And so, uh, what that helps us though to answer your question is is that helps us understand where they are, and it, under right. it helps us understand what their issues are. You know, in the legal context, one of the most common mistakes that uh, or really opportunities is a better way to frame it is that uh, they're the the largest segment of the audience, the potential client audience doesn't even know they need a lawyer yet. Uh, you know, they're doing research about a life legal issue. And if you, right. can, if you can be there to have that conversation and to build trust before they even get to the point where they don't need to know they hire a lawyer, you've already built in that you're in the consideration set. So, yeah. um, you know, I think we, this is another thing, another myth. I get here's another myth to smash. Smash, smash uh, That it direct, it's direct response only world right? Everybody's into direct response. We love the attribution of direct response. We'd love to show an ad with a tracking number and we see the, the call comes in and we can tie it back in our <laughs> CRM. That's not to dismiss. Attribution is really important. For but sure. If you look into your analytics and see, um, you know, if you go into like multi-channel reports and see yeah. the journey that your consumer takes before they hire you or buy from you, it's a lot more, uh, it's not just the straight funnel anymore. They're all over the place. You know, whether you call it micro moments. I, I think uh, I was at, uh, have you ever been to MozCon? Oh uh, yeah, like the SEO one. Yeah, so like I, SEO you know, Moz. I, I live in SEO world. And so um, oh. years ago, uh, Marty Weintraub, I'll give a shout to Marty Weintraub. He's at Aim Clear up in uh, Minnesota. Yo, Super yo. smart marketer. Hold up there. It's very cold. Well, I'm in Chicago, so it's like slightly. I actually think it's colder here, but they have more snow. Thank man, I froze my my took us off at the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. It's it's gets pretty quick. Well, you got to come to Chicago in February. Yeah, we'll take a walk along the lake, and you'll be like, not too many conferences there that time of year. Huh? No, not well. That's the thing. Now it's hey, the hotels are cheap. True, <laughs> but the um the, one of the things that Marty really said that resonated with me is is that you know it's not a marketing funnel anymore. It's more like a marketing bong. Because everything, the consumer journeys are just all over the map. You know, it's, it's a touch on Facebook. It's a message. It's an email. Um, and so it's not just this idea of a direct response and that, that it's just show an ad, get a response. There's a lot more going on now. And so I think as marketers, we need to be able to adjust to that. But, but you know, back to the original, I kind of went on a rant here. Back to yeah. the original point, uh, which is, is that 
the, it's not that direct response marketing doesn't work, but there's just so many other ways to engage with an audience over time and nurture that audience through the buying cycle, um, whether it's for law or for, you know, buying t-shirts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could be anything. So, you know, on that note, you know, I've got, got an attorney here. I'm sure we're on the clock. I'm gonna get the invoice later. Yeah. Uh, meters running. Meters running. Well, my meter's running too. So we'll see if they cancel each other out. <laughs> you're, I'm sure yours is, uh, your rate is much higher than mine. Probably not. <laughs> I, I know those legal rates get pretty, uh, pretty tasty. I'm, we don't do hourly anymore. So we know hourly billing for us. So. Well, I hear that's a good thing. Right? Yeah. Get out of that. More flat rate. I don't know. Unless you're a big firm, like, like in the firm. Well, I always call it like the billable hour. It's like the cab to nowhere. Like you're just, you're, the meter's <laughs> running, you're driving around the city in the cab, but where are we going? Yeah. You know? What's happening? Right. The end result. Give me that document for right. sure. Give me the document. Right. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes not even the document. Sometimes it's just like we wrote it on the cab to realize we don't even need the document. Oh, well, that's worth, well, that could be worth yeah. it. Save you the time. Um, so here's the question, right? So we get all these questions ourselves to say, you know, is this legal? Is this not legal? Um, you know, I, I'm sure going to start asking about several specifics, but do you have a general approach to, you know, staying in the, in the good graces of the legal system when you're doing your marketing? Right. So, uh, you know, as I talked about in the pre-show disclaimer here, while I am a licensed attorney, I am <laughs> certainly not a GDPR or FTC a regulation expert. And so if you have specific questions, you should consult an experienced attorney with knowledge of those laws. But I'll say this, this is kind of a That was good, off. by the way. I really like that. That was a good, <laughs> did you say that before? I mean, all I do is write, write uh, <laughs> web, website disclaimers all day. So. <laughs> right. Um, but the, but the, seriously, if you're walking the line on what's legal, uh, I got some news for you. It tends to be less effective, right? So, mm. you know, hey, do, are, do you want to be uh, the firm that is uh, risk increasing your risk of violating one of the whether it's can spam or a GDPR? And is that is that the reputation you want to have in the marketplace? Like, and guess what? Maybe it works once. Maybe it works twice. Maybe it works for a year. You know, we talk about this with. Um, sketchy SEO tactics too, but sure. uh, maybe you get away with it for a while, but is, is, do you want to build your business on that? Uh, are you building trust? Are you going to, are people going to long-term re refer to you? Um, so, and, and the other thing too, is this, it does, it, it's a, it's a flash in the pan. You know, pe the, yeah. one, the one that comes up all the time, and I think this is, uh, I think we're getting better at understanding the effectiveness of this, but you know, think about list, email list buying. You buy these lists, even if you do it legally, like how great does list buying really work right. for certain contacts? I, you know, I don't know. What do you think? Maybe you disagree. You like list buying? Well, you know, certain systems, we do a lot of work with Pardot, like, okay. like forbid it. It is, it, it is for, for Botan. It is like, you cannot do it in their policy. You can't even do it. Right. But a lot of marketers do. And, and so I'm, I just sort of accept out there that a lot of the way we do, it's kind of like the status quo old way of doing it. I want people to move forward into some of the better channels because you're right. It doesn't. I mean, you're, when you spam people, especially if you send your terrible email at them, they're just going to hit spam report. If you get enough of those, part of it actually reaches out to you and it's like, okay, where'd you get all these people from? <laughs> right. And, and, and your, your ISP 
might sure. actually throttle the deliverability of your email. So if oh, you're sending it on your own servers, your regular emails are going to stop going out. You know, I love that, that point though. If it's like, if you have to ask if the marketing is legal or not, if you're, if you're that close to it, then you're probably getting more and more ineffective. Exactly. And that, you know, it's, just, it's the same thing outside of internet world too, right? So, yeah. you know, if you're walking a gray line that, you know, it's like, this is dicey stuff. I think one of the things the internet does though, is it makes us feel like we're anonymous. So it's like, Oh, this happens online. So there's no, there's no right. law. Like this is the wild west on the internet. Like I can't get in trouble for this <laughs> stuff. Um, and it's not true. It's funny. The laws actually work online too. Wow. They find you, they found the guy that started silk road. So if they can find him, they can find anybody. Well, I mean, look, he's one of the biggest GDPR uh, violators, biggest fine, uh, at least that I saw. I don't know if this is the most up-to-date information, but the, I think the biggest GDPR violator is Google. Really? They have the big, they're the number one fine. So the, the point is, is that some of the, you know, and I don't want to get into the philosophical arguments about. Um, no, you're right. I looked it up. 57 million. They got fined. A French data protection watchdog fined Google 57 million which is for Google's a rounding error, but still. <laughs> right. So, you know, it doesn't have much teeth, but, but the point being that, um, you know, if they're, if they can get Google, they're going to get you. Uh, maybe, maybe you're, oh, wow, maybe you think true. you're going to fly under the radar, but um, you know, we can get into specifics of GDPR. I mean, the, the, the simple solution to a lot of this stuff, and you yeah. already alluded to it with the email stuff, get consent, keep record of consent. Uh, if you get a, da a data uh, breach, report it. Uh, those are the two biggies that I think about in GDPR. And again, there, there's more to it than that. And people talk about, well, do I need a chief data officer? And, um, you know, if you're a bigger company and you're managing a lot of personally identifiable information, like, yeah, you should probably be investing in that. If you're, uh, you know, a one person shop who's doing some uh, personal branding or informational product or e-commerce, like, right. yeah, you got to do your due diligence to make sure that you get, you're on, you got security measures in place. So you're protecting against breaches. But um, again, the big thing here is, is like, go to your website and put a GDPR opt-in uh, box. You know, WordPress has got millions of plugins that you can use if you use WordPress. Very cool. Um, get the consent. Once, and once you've got the consent, then it's a different ball game. If you don't have the consent, uh, then don't process their data. Oh, I just thought of another myth, common GDPR myth. Yeah, yeah, let's talk GDPR. That's let's good. smash it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, GDPR only applies to you if you're in the European Union. False. False. So if you process data, if you're a U.S. business and you process data of a European Union resident, you are subject to GDPR. Well, we should probably take a step back too, because I'm going to nerd out some more on yeah. everyone listening about GDPR, because I think a lot of people have asked these questions. But you know, could you just describe what GDPR is for people who are like, Casey, what the hell are you talking about right now? It's because it's important that people know about it. And if you if you miss that memo, it's out here. So what, yeah, um, what's your your uh, the compliance date was May of 2018. So you're behind the eight ball. Um, it would be so, the first time for a lot of us, but still. So, right. it, so maybe just describe what it is and, and um, any kind of background. Sure. So I'm going to use my nerd voice. Maybe I'll use my Professor Frank. The General Data Protection Regulation, also known as GDPR, Flavin, is a, uh, <laughs> it's an EU law that basically tries to protect consumer data. So, uh, I, and I think that the, 
you know, emails is a no brainer, but, but they're really looking at like credit cards, social security information, but it's any, they, it's very broad. It's any personally identifiable information. So arguably, um, Google analytics, if you're collecting, uh, certain forms of data through Google analytics forms that are coming through your site, uh, CRM data, that stuff can be covered. And, um, you know, essentially one, you want the idea is get people's consent to process their data. So once you have the consent, you're in the clear and that, that consent can be a, a disclaimer on your website with a checkbox. And then you check that off. You're good. You know, similar to uh, email opt-in kind of checkbox. Right. Um, there are some other aspects to it, but mostly it's about getting the consent to process the data. And then two is if you do have a breach, if someone hacks into your system and you've, uh, you know, there's some things you have to do to like prevent against hacking, but it's not yeah. like, you don't have to be like uh, the NSA or something. Um, yeah, but if you do get hacked, steps. report it. So tell Done. people what's happening with their data when it's uh, hacked. And then there are a couple other instances, but those are the big ones. I mean, the big solution here from, for most people is get the consent. Because, yeah, right at the very beginning, you do that and you head off a lot of problems. There, there's less surprise from people. Now, just real quick, and I don't know if this is too nitty gritty and we can always, you know, refer to people later. But the idea of do you need date and time stamps for these kind of things when you get consent? You know, I mean, obviously, we're not the Google of the world and we have yeah. some technology. Are these yeah, I, well, important I, or I, is it just is this I think a new show? The, um, Date and timestamps specifically. That's an interesting question. Um, my again, I'm not, not an expert. This needs right. to be researched by an actual GDPR lawyer. But I would say this: I think that the number one, the burden. If you implement something like a WordPress plugin, it's going to most of them. And you could probably look this up in the terms of the uh, plugin, but it's probably capturing the date and timestamp automatically. So. I, I, if the question is, do you need to have a field that says enter date and time? Like, no. Um, but I, I would say this, I think the burden to collect the date and time is very low. And Got so checkbox that collects the visitor information and the date and time, I mean, that's kind of like in there. So like, I guess, I guess I, my follow-up question would be like, why are you not collecting the date and time stamp? Right. Like if it's, if it's automatically, like if it's Pardot or WordPress thing, it's auto, you, it's going to log the, the, the transaction day at least. Yeah there so maybe we're saying I'm maybe i'm just too dumb to understand what the real no i mean that makes is. sense but it sounds like there's a low there's a low ask for that yeah i think it's a low ask and um you know i'm trying to think of like well if you have consent to process the data does it matter when you do it i would say this so here's an interesting now we're going to get legal here so if you get let's say you get their consent but you process their data before the consent and you don't you can't prove when I don't, know, I don't even know who the burden would be on there, but yeah. that's an argument for having the timestamp and the date stamp is to say, no, look, we have your consent from this day because we don't have to get, you don't, you don't have to re-consent um, unless you, I guess, put in, give them notification that you want to uh, re uh, revoke your consent. Right. So in that context, date and timestamp would matter so that you can prove when you got it. So if you're comparing that to when you're processing the information, you can say, I've got the consent beforehand. Yeah, right. And, and if it's to, to our point, I mean, this is actually kind of a cool, it's like a, it's like a little tiny question, but it opens up the, the worms of 
um, you know, did you have the data ahead of time? Did you play with it? Did you use it before you had consent? And ideally, if you're just meeting someone the first time and then you get consent or yeah, and you get consent while you get their information, best case. And yeah. so I guess I, I think the, I think, you know, just to really drive it home for people yeah. that are like concerned about this stuff, right. get the date and timestamp because you need to know when consent was given and then you need to be able to track against if someone revokes consent. And so date and time matter for that. Got it. Yes. There, there we go. Straight answer from a lawyer who usually says it depends. Now, did we start out saying it doesn't matter? And now, now we're saying we do need. To well, I didn't say it didn't matter, but I think I hedged a little bit. I, I said, you know, um, I, I guess for me, I was really trying to dig deeper on the question of like, is there something going on here with the date? Is, is date and time right. not just built into this, the process? Like, cause it should, right. be. it should be. Yeah. And if it's not, make sure you get it. But if you've got an app, just make sure your app has it. Right. And captures it. That makes sense. Um, yeah. You know, uh, another question, uh, it's your fan questions, right? So um, for, for GDPR, you know, protecting data is important. And then if you don't have consent, you got to get rid of their data. You got to erase it. Purge. Yeah, you got to, right, purge. <laughs> you have to, yeah. And, and the whole idea of like demonstrating that you deleted it or demonstrating that you removed it. Any take on that or experience with that? Um, and how, and how do you keep a record of the fact that you deleted it? And it's all kind of, yeah. Uh, and then the, the issue is, is like the bigger issue there is, is really, did you really delete it? Like you think you deleted it, but then like, right. is, is your, whatever you're using, backing it up. Um, we, we run into this with like, um, data retention policies all the time of like how, you know, even with regular, forget about GDPR, like, do you have an obligation to keep emails or, you know, does your company have a policy about how long you're retaining data and what you're doing with it. Cause you know, part of this uh, movement in the EU too involves the right to be forgotten. And so if someone says, I don't want you to have any of this stuff, you got to have the ability to delete it and then to uh, certify that you deleted it. So, so how do you keep track of the fact that you deleted it if you've deleted it? Yeah. And it kind of depends on <laughs> what, you know, what we're, uh, what we're talking about, but most software will have a, uh, you know, for people that are not sophisticated, uh, track changes. So sure. you can see that the item was the, the actual data element was deleted. Um, Got it. but you know, if you're doing, you know, and again, I, I don't want to be presumptuous if people are trying to get consent by hand here, mm. <laughs> um, you know, I would cert. I would you you'd be looking at an affidavit saying I certify that I deleted this data, and then the question is, is like, are you lying or not? And those are the issues for the courts, at least here in the U.S. But we're, I mean, we're going deep down here. I mean, most yeah. of this is uh, most <laughs> of this is handled. Like, if you look at the, this is another good point though that you know uh, people should think about. And I, nobody does, even lawyer. You know, we've right. got clients who are lawyers, and they don't even do this. That's what I'm about to suggest. Read the terms of your software. Some software lays out what the, their, retent, their data retention policy is. And some of the policies, they'll be like, yeah, we keep your data on our servers for five years, even if you delete it. So like if I'm using like a, some kind of tool, whatever it is, and uh, I click delete, guess what? It's still there. I mean, even, we even hear these stories about like Dropbox. So uh, you think you deleted something on Dropbox, but Dropbox is backing up your data 
to other cloud servers and like technically it still exists out there. And so then the question, you know, and then we get in now, now we're really on the edge of what's being fought about in the courts um, and what the obligations are. And so, you know, I, I also think too, it's like, uh, these are all good things to learn about. Um, But I also don't want to like paralyze people, you know, if you're, and this goes, this brings me back, you know, for, for full circle. Yeah. Which is, uh, if you're if you're not misleading consumers, if you've got proper disclaimers and consent, uh, if you're following basic data security best practices, you're you're going to be in pretty good shape. I mean, these laws are really not. You know, they're they're really trying to say, look, uh, big tech, we know you have all of our personal information. We want more <laughs> control over it, right? And we want the ability to say. Uh, you can't have it anymore. We can revoke our consent. Um, but, you know, again, if you're, if you're looking for ways around GDPR and can spam and uh, consumer protection statutes in the U.S., like, you might be in the wrong business. Sure, sure, sure. Or, or, or if you, maybe you're, you're selling sham wows or something. Right, <laughs> right. You have, you, have, you have bigger problems than GDPR. Right. <laughs> So, so GDPR, I mean, is, is probably the one of the more aggressive ones. What do you, what are you seeing back in the States with, you know, can spam and the local U S market? Good old U S of a is still a pretty wild West. Um, it's freedom, you know, right? Freedom, yeah, right? Freedom, let freedom ring. Um, <laughs> so the, the major one that, that you brought up that we talk about, there's, there's really two that I like to talk about, uh, and maybe, well, we'll start with the, uh, with can spam. So yeah. the FTC. Federal Trade Commission uh, has a Can Spam Act, uh, which basically says you can. But if you're going to do, if you're going to cold email somebody for a business purpose, then you got to do some things. Number one, don't use false or misleading header information. Uh, don't use deceptive subject lines. You know, deceptive. We always get. I always get into this. It's like. Well, what's the difference between deceptive and persuasive? And it's marketing, like, oh, right? Yeah. Right. Market. But, and, and, you know, and again, full circle, like there's so much crossover because um, where is that line between persuasion, even in the context of court, right? So like in court, we persuade with the evidence. You can't lie. You can't lie in court. You, you know, lawyers are held to really high standards for false and misleading information. Um, but on the other hand, uh, choosing how you present your evidence, the intonation of your voice, like that's all persuasion stuff. And so um, anyway, not to di- I digress. Back to the FTC. Don't use deceptive subject lines. So if, it's, if, it's, if you're using something that's like patently false in your subject line, that's an easy one, right? If you say, I'm selling you a blue shirt and it's a red shirt, that's fraud. No good. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, Wow. identifying the message as an ad. That's a big one. And we talk a lot about the disclaimers, like uh, put disclaimers on your websites, put disclaimers in your uh, terms of ser- your, uh, both on your terms of service. I usually say put them in the footer too. put them in your email messages. Uh, say that's an ad. This is an ad. And, and the, the FTC doesn't say you actually have to say that, but uh, you know, the safest play is to say, this is an ad. Of course, marketers will say well, like, Oh, well that's going to, crush my conversion. They will crush my conversion. Yeah. Right. So then, so, you know, you get a lot of, they give you a lot of leeway, but, um, you know, put it in the footer of the email. You know, this is an advertisement. I mean, again, like you said, Pardo, um, 
Is it Pardot or Pardot? I hear Pardot. Yeah. Pardot. Dot. It's those yeah. French Canadians invading. Well, everybody thinks I'm, you know, that's another long story, but I'm actually not French Canadian. I actually Greek. My full name is Argidi Sakalakis. My mom started calling me Guy. Everything's I'm French Canadian. We'll talk about that later. Um, tell people where you're located. That's another one. Put your business, your real business address yep. uh, in the footer. Um, give people the ability to opt out of receiving emails. Again, Pardot and MailChimp and ActiveCampaign and all these uh marketing automation tools they have you know that's usually baked Built in. in yeah yeah part out you have to either yeah. have a one click unsubscribe or a link to your preferences right well and you know the, the reason that they one of the reasons they do that is because a lot of times you're running the mail through their servers and so yeah. if their servers get hammered yeah that's you know but i say let them management they're the experts rather than management right uh, and then honoring opt-out requests so if someone tells you don't send me emails don't keep hammering them um and then obviously if you're if you're outsourcing your marketing, make sure that they're following those rules. So, because uh, you could technically, you hire somebody to do it and they do something, you could be on the hook for what they're doing nefariously. How much more clear is, is, uh, is this can spam regulation? This is fantastic, right? Hey, follow these steps, then blast, blast away. Blast everybody. <laughs> just let's really just, you know, tell them who you are, uh, give them a chance to opt out. Um, and again, all of this, is with the caveat that you know what works a lot better is um, earning people's attention, getting opt-in, right? Giving not spamming people, people. right? Yeah. Not spamming. I mean, um, you know, I, I also though, just for the record, because people are going to be like, "Oh, this is all like warm, fuzzy inbound stuff." Outbound marketing and outbound sales still works. I mean, sure. people hate to hear that. Uh, you know, I've been doing this. I've been doing marketing since uh, two thousand seven. Mm -hmm. And I was, um, I jumped on the inbound train. I love HubSpot. I love Moz. I love inbound marketing. I love content marketing. Um, but I will tell you that I've seen example after example of outbound, cold outbound sales. It still works. It's just way less efficient. Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, dialing for dollars is, uh, you're just, yeah, it's a grind for sure. Grind. But you're right. I mean, groups like HubSpot would have you, have you think that, just sit there and, and let the inbound flow and just wait, wait for it to happen. Well, you know, and this is, we always get into this conversation too, because it's like um, inbound, amazing. You know, it's great. Yep. You're, 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 you've got people's, they've given you permission for their attention. They want what you're putting out into the world. It's great. Um, but, you know, we, we even talk about this with, um, in the context of selling like B2B, uh, you have a lot less control of who you're targeting on inbound because I, I can try right. to craft my message very specifically for a very specific buyer persona segment of the market, but who signs up for that is really out of my control. Right. right. So I, you know, I, I always joke around cause it's like, you know, who's on my inbound marketing list, all of my com competitors, right. They want to see what I'm doing. <laughs> Whereas on outbound, so true. I know exactly who I'm targeting. Right. Um, so, you know, I you know, let's do both. Right. I think do both, follow the rules, do both. Both can be effective and, you know, you've got to kind of prioritize where your marketing time and dollars go. But uh, I just, I have to say that because I, I feel like this wave of like, you know, oh, here's another myth. Let's smash a myth. Smash. Outbound sales is dead. It's not. not Still dead. works. It's a lot less efficient than inbound, but you can make a deal with outbound. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not. You just got to be able to pick your pick your battles, whichever sources and channels you want to go after. Right. 
sometimes you know in the low season or people aren't clicking a lot maybe you dial dial some numbers i think that's yeah. where abm is really sort of resurfaced i mean we've all kind of been targeting accounts for a while hopefully we have and then now there's a name for it but just going after the, our best customer instead yep. of trying to go after everyone and get all the riffraff in and your competitors are clicking your AdWords. Um, no, instead you're actually going after specific accounts that you want to talk to. Exactly. I think it's also, you know, the line and some, you know, it's at the, at the ends of the spectrum, it's really easy, right? So there's cold, I send you a message that's obvious. And then there's pure 100% pure inbound marketing where it's like op double opt in and they, yeah. they know your brand. It's great. They follow you. They love you. But then there's like this middle area, right? Cause it's like custom audiences on Facebook. So like, obviously it depends on how you built your list or, or like retargeting. I'm like, is that inbound or outbound? Because they, you earned their attention. They clicked on like retargeting context. They came to your right. site, but then you show them an ad on the New York times. Is that inbound or outbound? Right. It, get, it gets confusing to your point. It's like that relationship as, as opposed to a, a linear process. Right. So I'd love to transition a bit because I know that I know I've harassed you a little bit about email because that's what, what we do a lot of um, SEO, SEO. Like it's, it's a fascinating topic and I, and I love it because it, it spanks the people that are doing, you know, decades old practices because those no longer work and you probably get penalized for it. What like 2019, what's your take on SEO? How do we make it work? So I'm um, uh, in very small uh, circles, I have, I have coined this tag of meh links, M-E-H links, because look, uh, one, I think you alluded to, there's a lot of, B there, I don't know if there's, is there anything that's more filled with BS than SEO? Is there more, is, is, is SEO yeah. not? Is yeah. it really like it's like the pure snake oil of the day? I was just gonna say snake oil. I've I've met so many scummy SEO professionals, quotes unquotes, that they're like, look at your Google traffic. Look, it's increasing. Well, yeah, I'm alive. My Google traffic's increasing. Uh, there's <laughs> no, no actually, yeah. it doesn't even mean that. All that means is that somewhere on the internet, a JavaScript fired that sent information to Google Analytics. <laughs> right. Um, right. Some so, spider so, called my site. Yeah. Right. And it's like everything else though, right? I mean, let's even not to get too like historical here, but the reason that people were able to sell snake oil is because there's a huge lack of information and people felt desperate. So, right. you know, someone stands up there with a bottle that says, this is going to cure all your ailments. And you're like, Oh, thank goodness. And you don't know anything about science. Then you're like, yeah, I'll give it a try. So same thing is true with SEO today. People don't, they, they hear about it. You know, it's funny every time, like I see something in the mainstream of SEO, I'm like, this is actually good because people, the only way to combat the snake oil is to get informed about how search engines work and what they're right. doing and yada, yada, yada. But um, so I, back to, I say meta links because at the end of the day, and I know you're going to get people that are like that gee guy you had on there is full of shit, but <laughs> uh, links still drive the engine at Google. Google takes in a ton of information. Yeah, they would Google would love to be so what they're trying to do is Google wants to build they want to build the matrix, right? They want to build the world on their servers and then be able to say, I know who Gee is and I know who Casey is and I know who I know where Home Depot is. Like I have that entity information. Yep. And they're moving in that direction, but they're not there yet. So if you 
if you, you got to get the basic blocking and tackling, right? Like, you know, if you've got, this is another thing I always tell people too. It's like, well, people are like, oh no, it's all technical SEO. And I'm like, well, for bigger sites, I think that's true. And if you, if by technical SEO, you mean making sure you have a robots TXT file, that's not disallowing the spider. Like, yes, that's basic blocking and tackling. Like, do you need to have a title tag on your pages? Yes, you do. But, uh, if you're going to invest time, if you want to get the competitive difference makers, you want to get away from just the basic blocking and tackling, find ways to earn links from other websites. And I don't mean buying Forbes links or buying ink.com links. Um, and for us, and I think there's another uh, distinction here. So you got me talking SEO and I'm drinking coffee. Like I'm just going to rant. So I, love it, man. I apologize in advance. Yeah. So if you're a brick and mortar, if you're like, if you're uh you know, we, a law firm, for example, that's what we work with. Yep. Uh, if you're a restaurant, uh, you're in a totally different world of local SEO. It's not even like the traditional 10 blue links type of SEO. You got to get map packs. Um, and so that's a totally, you got different algorithms going on in there. But I will say this, the thing that we see, if you got people on that are listening today and you're a brick and mortar and you're trying to get in a map pack, um, local, uh, topically relevant links make all the difference. So to give you a more specific example, if I have a pizza place, the best link I could get from somebody else would be from all the other pizza places around town. Of course, they're my competitors. They're never going to link to me. So then you work backwards and you're like, okay, well, other businesses in the area, uh, schools, yeah, uh, university, local here are the pizza places in the area. Yeah. yeah. That stuff, that stuff works really, really well. And again, oh. Part of that is it's not, and I know because I know the, the SEOs that are listening are going to be like, well, there's no page rank in uh, local SEO. And I'm be like, okay, look, I, I don't, I'm not even going to try to get into this fight with you. All I can tell you is this. Same thing with my disclaimers about a lawyer. Here's my disclaimers as an SEO. All, I don't work at Google. I am not an information retrieval engineer. I'm not a search engineer. But I will say this. Doing this 10 years, when clients come to us, the ones that end up showing in, up in the local pack results are the ones who earn solid local uh, links from their topically relevant or location relevant. Uh, and the other thing that I will say too, and I, you know, um, another great local SEO expert, Greg Gifford, who's also a friend. Um, he's in the automotive space, but there's a lot of overlap with uh, some of the local SEO stuff that we talk about. He, and he's doing a, he's doing a great, he's got a lot more visibility than I do, but he's doing a great job of smashing this myth. So we're going to smash another myth. Domain authority is not a good indicator of link quality in the local SEO universe. So mm. uh, domain authority is Moz's proxy metric for trying to measure, uh, I say essentially it's page rank, but it's, right. it's Moz's number to, to measure the quality of a domain. D, everybody's talking about, you know, if you get all these spam emails, it's like, oh, give me a DA75 link. Forget all that nonsense. Um, local, location relevant, uh, topically relevant. Hmm. Don't worry about domain authority. I mean, look, your local high school uh, around town, go look at the domain authority of your local high school. It's low, you know, 25, right. 30. That's one of the best links you can get. You know what? I, what I'm stoked about, I mean, other than Google buying company and, and companies like robotics, Boston Robotics building like the Terminator, other than that level of Google and, you know, them identifying all of our faces and probably our DNA, other than that is the fact that they've gotten so good at their search that 
a lot of the scammy stuff falls by the wayside. And if, and if you just are, are like back to that earlier thing with the, with the legalities, if you're just a good place and people are recommending you and you, you can encourage that. Um, yeah. It's like good. And even for B2B good content, it's shared, it's social. You're, you're providing value. People are linking to you. You're just being helpful in the marketplace. Then that, like they've gotten so good they pick up on that now as opposed to like you bought you know a thousand links from some other com- uh, country yeah they're getting better um you know i i will say unfortunately like we're moving in the right direction yeah. uh, i always the the other thing i always say is is like google's web spam uh pr team is actually better than the actual engineering team because they would have you believe that spam doesn't work at all like link spam doesn't work uh-huh. and you know depending on the context i still see it working all the time um but but again like to your point and, and the same thing we talk about in the legal context like do you want to build your business off of that like i say to lawyers all the time like how you know you're let's say uh i don't know we'll say you've uh, I'll, i always ask them how long do you want to practice law? Like, do you want your, you want to run a business here for the long term, or are you trying to uh, just this year, right? Because if you want just this year, we will go crazy building you links. We'll spam, spam the hell out of it. And we might get you some results uh, in the short term, but guess what? You're going to get caught. You're going to get a manual action. You're going to get de-indexed. And so there you want to start over next year. Right. Um, and of course, most of them are like, no, but you know, it's right. also funny too, my lawyer friends would be like, oh, well, they, you know, these marketers are such scumbags. And I'm like, you'd be <laughs> shocked how many lawyers come to me and ask. Wait, a lawyer said that? <laughs> uh, uh, right. Well, you should, I'm, I'm telling you, these lawyers come to me asking me, hey, man, what kind of black hat do you do? Like, what kind of black hat SEO can you do for us? And I'm like, <laughs> dude, no. Uh, well, I'm like, here's, here's what we could do, but I'm telling you, it, in the long term, you're going to burn your brand down. Um, And, you know, lawyers have their own, uh, every state has like, you you think the FTC and GDPR and can spam are problematic. Go read the rules, professional conduct for lawyers, like much higher standard um, against false and misleading information. And so a lot of these black hat SEO things probably violates rules, professional conduct standards. So I'm always like, look, let's, don't you want to build a business here? Like, don't you, if you want to go rent something, go rent something, you know, go pay for ads. But if you want to build something here, like this is the other analogy I always use is like SEO. It's like build, it's like investing in your real estate, right? Like, uh, yeah, you're you're putting in investments now to build the foundation. So something that's going to pay you back over the long term. Um, you want to rent, go run ads. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that with some of our good content in the past. We show up for Pardot for things that, we wrote a long time ago, just putting in that work, being helpful to people. Right. Says, hey, were those, uh, those attorneys asking for the black hat stuff? Were those defense attorneys? Ha, not necessarily. <laughs> not necessarily. Um, uh, <laughs> all sorts, all walks of life. Divorce hey, attorneys? I, you know, my, when I was a uh, much younger person, you know, I was like, you know, mom, I was like, lawyers, like, they just get such a bad reputation. Like, do I want to go into this? And she's like, here's the thing. Every industry has bad people in it. Um, mm, so it's true. not a, you can't just paint with a broad brush. There, there are great lawyers. There are some of the best people I've ever met are lawyers. Um, some of the best people I've ever met are uh, SEOs. Um, and also some of the worst on both of those. So um, right. I don't know. I, I think we tend to paint too broadly a brush there. But, um, especially, you know, the other thing I always say about lawyers is 
you know, you might hate a lawyer until you need one, right? That's true. Then they're your best friend. And uh, your best when your freedom's on the line, there is nobody more important to you in the world than your lawyer. Yeah, you know, or or, or you're being assaulted by some other lawyer. It's great. It's almost like the Calvary's coming in to to take care of you, protect you. So yeah, uh, you're right. You're right. That's it's a good call. It, you know, and people like Randfish and other folks, you know, in the SEO world, I, I, can, I can see that there. Not only are they classy dressers, but they're pretty, they seem like pretty cool people. So. Yeah, you know, and I think a lot of them too. Like if you think about it, like, uh, and they, you know, there's some self. Let's not let's let's call a spade a spade. You know, there's a lot of um, their own interest in their generosity, but so many of them are generous with the what they publish, and what they the time they spend trying to educate folks. Um, right. And so, uh, you know, I mean, for myself, like a lot of those, a lot of the leaders in the SEO community, like that, I, that's what I built my business um, following, you know, HubSpot, even uh, David Meerman Scott, like these, yeah. they, um, they really helped me a lot um, in, in, tra- in my transition because, you know, there wasn't, uh, you know, in 2007, at least to my knowledge, there wasn't a uh, master's level class for search engine optimization. For sure. You had to sort yeah. of figure it out or ask there might be now i don't know yeah ask matt or rand yeah um very cool do you do you know david i do i was i had the pleasure of meeting him he was here in chicago speaking and um yeah i got a chance to meet with him and uh talk to him he's got a new book coming out which i'm super pumped for january yeah give him a plug i'm trying to get him to have you ever had him on the podcast i have he's scheduled he's gonna be on here at some point nice yeah yeah well uh, I'm trying to get, I want to get them on mine as well. So I'll, sure. uh, I'm trying to plant those seeds. So make it happen. If you're listening to this, David, David, <laughs> <laughs> what I'll do is I'll just, I'll just talk about you on, on his show. I'd be like, you know what? He'll be like, who? I was chatting with this, this amazing attorney who just knew so much about marketing. You know, you should chat with him. <laughs> uh, it, watch it all happen. And then people will be like, I know what you're doing there. Yeah. It'll be like, look, podcasting works. Uh, hey, speaking of podcasting, you know, yeah. like, Two, you have two shows now or two shows. So we do yeah. one, the shows are clienting, which is, okay. um, it's actually the same two hosts. It's, uh, myself and Kelly street, uh, who I work with. Um, but clienting is more, we get lawyers to come on and actually talk like in the trenches about what they're doing for client development, both online and offline. And then we do a show for a legal talk network called uh, lunch hour, legal marketing, um, it's still in the context of legal, but we have more, um, high pro, we try to get high profile marketing conversations going with some of the, the experts and leaders. Uh, it's not as, it's the audience's lawyers, but the guests tend to be more marketing types. Right, right. That's where, that's where we'd go to. That's yeah. cool. I'd like that because you're in, in two separate ways. You're, you're talking to your future customers, uh, staying in the loop with them, and at the same time, you're still learning and staying fresh by talking to experts on the on the lunch hour. Yeah, and you know the thing you'd ask me this, I think in the uh, in the prep, like you know, where where are your thoughts on podcasting in general? And you know, I one, I think it's uh, one of those areas like everybody's on the podcasting uh, wagon right now. But they are. you know, it's just another medium. And you know, the thing is, uh, if you if you're comfortable doing it, if you're comfortable having these kind of conversations like this, you know, some people prefer to write, but unfortunately we are so busy that, uh, you know, we, we don't read as much. And so podcasting right. is a great, I mean, I, I'm, I love podcasts. I mean, I, my, I, I'm fortunate enough to be able to walk to work. And so I'm podcast all morning. Uh, you know, I, 
Did you ever listen? You know, what, let's now that we're talking about podcasts, yeah. what are your favorite podcasts? Absolutely, um, for sure. Uh, Joe Rogan, yeah, that's a good one. sometimes when I'm do, doing my own podcast, I catch myself reacting the way he would, which is really weird because you've listened to him so many times. And then I also, should I do this or should I do that? I'll do like, what would Joe Rogan do? Um, <laughs> yeah, I get the bracelet. Yeah, yeah, I do. I gotta get the the American flag and the flamethrower and have you hold a sword before the show. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's also Hardcore History with Dan Carlin. I was gonna bring that one up. Were That's you? one of my favorites. Yeah, isn't that so good? So, and I, and the thing is too is is like, I we you know not to get too philosophical here, but we really need that education, and so. Uh, he does, Dan Carlin does such a fantastic job of getting you excited about it and telling the story and the nuances and the details of these, even going back to the, um, you know, the original shows uh, talking about World War One, World War Two. I mean, it's so engaging. I mean, anybody that's listening now, I highly recommend Hardcore History. Yeah, Dan puts so much work into that. I mean, all the yeah. prep, he reads all the historians and he'll tell you, look, I'm not a historian. It's like, Dan, you are at this point, you are, but you're, he, <laughs> I know he, 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 his, he, I feel oh. like hardcore history should be the elementary school history curriculum. Yeah. I wish that was what I had in school, you know, because I would have paid attention. I would have just, oh, class is three hours long, but yeah, it's like story time with Professor Dan. <laughs> Let's do this. Totally. Like, you know, what is it about it? Because it, it's the, he does a lot of prep. He cares. He's passionate about the topics. He dissects situations and he'd say, and you hear his voice, it, you know, your professor voice earlier. He, he gets all like, Oh, and in the, in the battles that he has, he, you can feel him like feeling it and kind of describing what's happening. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it, I think it's one of those examples of like, anytime you see someone who is just, a true expert at what they do and that they, they're so well read and they're so right. they can go so deep. Um, you know, it's like, it's like any kind of craftsman. Like have you ever watched like a really amazing, like woodworker, like yeah. you just watch them and you're just hypnotized by the right. craft, you know, I'm hypnotized by people framing walls. Honestly, right. like, <laughs> right. Exactly. No, that's exactly right. Yeah. Same thing. I watched my uh, nephew uh, when he, he framed this whole wall in our basement by himself. I'm standing there looking like a dummy helping him. And he picks up the, the wall frame with his toe an inch off the ground so that it's in place so that he can like, and I'm just watching it's and so awe. cool to see that where it's just like oh, that culmination of all of that experience and knowledge and, you know, just on display. It's all, it's all, no matter what the context, watching that is just always spellbinding. Yeah, the passion too. If you you can like you can tell when someone really cares about something. If they don't, you it's like instant checkout. But if they do, you're like, I don't really care about X Y Z, but this person's really into this. <laughs> Let me exactly kind of pick up off their energy. Yep, exactly. You feel it. So as uh, as uh, our friend uh, David Meerman Scott would say, it's the mirror neurons. We're watching them and engaging with them, and it's just like wow. Jeez, feel it. It's like a Jesus. biological thing. So, Guy, who are you, man? We've talked SEO, podcasts. We've talked legalities. You let me beat you up with some GDPR questions. Like, who are you? Where'd you come from? Take us back to, like, little Guy days. Yeah. So, I grew up uh, outside Detroit. Okay. And uh, went to the University of Michigan. Go Blue. And then uh, went to law school at Wayne State in Detroit. Practiced. Uh, I was my... At that stage, I wanted to be a trial lawyer. I did that for a couple of years. And there's some days I still miss it, but um, opportunity 
presented itself with one of my really close friends from college. And so we started the attorney business back in 2008, uh, full service. We moved to Chicago, did websites. So Wait, wait, wait. The, the, this is before school or this is after school? This is after school. Yeah, like, after I'd, you, I, I'd actually been a lawyer for like lawyer? two years. And, and so this, the story that I tell is, is that this is 2005, 2006. So the internet's yeah. not brand new, but uh, Facebook's pretty new. And so, um, you know, I was out there as a young lawyer trying to figure out like, how do we use the internet to drive business? And so, right. you know, there's a lot of, there were lead gen sites and some of these directory sites back then. And, yep. um, you know, as we, as I said, at this, the start of the show, a lot of the conversations I had with our lawyers were, oh, well, people aren't going to use the internet to hire lawyers like that. And I was <laughs> like, agree to disagree. And so we, uh, we built a business around that. And then, um, you know, my brother, who is a paid, like paid media management, like genius, uh, but he'd been working at big agencies for forever. And so we right. finally persuaded him to join us. And so we started another business that's outside of legal, but it's still, it's mostly paid media management, We've got clients in financial services, higher education, um, medical supplies, and a couple other uh, verticals. But um, yeah, so that we've been doing that. That's probably like a five-year-old business, but I never, I know aspirations as a young person to uh, get into internet marketing or really marketing in general. I think I always kind of had an entrepreneurial itch. Uh, I like the, uh, I got to stay engaged. Like I gotta be solving problems like all the time, solve new problems. And that, that's one thing that's, if you, if you know, for folks that are listening, I'm sure they could resonates with them. Like it's always something new to try a lot of, ex, yeah. you know, a lot of experimentation, not new problems, new technology all the time. That's an exciting place to be. Did you always know you wanted to do that though? Like, no. Do you remember when it sort of like the idea, like maybe I'll become a lawyer? Yeah. So, oh, so, so, uh, I, when I, when I first started at Michigan, so this is 1997, um, I really thought I was going to go into computer science. Um, I liked, I liked the, I liked computers. I liked, uh, nice. some aspects of like coding I liked, Sure. but it was a much different world back then. And so, you know, when I started to see what the future looked like as a, a coder in 2000, 1997, yep. I was like, <laughs> ah, I don't know. This doesn't seem like my uh, cup of tea. And so I was like, all right, I got to pick Pretty a raw new... back then. <laughs> yeah. It's like C, C. And, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I remember my sophomore year was the first year that Java came out. Yeah. So it's like pre Java. Um, but in any event, I, uh, I was like, Oh, I got to figure out a new major. And so I actually majored in philosophy, which I love philosophy. I think that we should be, that's the other thing history and philosophy. Like we need to reinvest and civics, but, um, love studying philosophy. Unfortunately, there's not a huge practical market for philosophers these days, unless you're going to go right. to academics. And, uh, so, uh, I started investigating, uh, being a lawyer, but I, I didn't think I, my mom always tells a story that when I was really, really young, I told her that I wanted to be a judge. Um, I can nice. like barely remember that. I was like, okay, mom, take your word for it. But, um, so I had some interest in it, but I was super into history, super into philosophy. Yep. Uh, you know, I went to law school. Law school is essentially history, U S history class. Uh, maybe some British history because you know, the common laws yeah. developed from that, but um, love was really enamored by being in court. I wanted to be a trial lawyer, right? So I wanted to try cases. Uh, well, you look like was, you're straight out of suits, so I could see that. Being yeah, right. <laughs> totally. So I was super into that. Um, did that for a very drop in the bucket um, before my partner and I decided to start this business. But, um, you know, there's aspects of it that I miss. Uh, but, 
yeah, my my trial skills now at this stage are way too rusty. So I'm not going. I don't think I'm going back to that. I don't know, man. Podcasts keep you fresh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, but so, yeah, I was really enamored. I think I watched yeah. too much Law and Order. I just <laughs> love that. I didn't. I didn't see any of the bad side of practicing. I mean, it's a very demanding uh, career. Uh, super cool though, you know. I, and I'm a true believer in this. In uh, you know, lawyers are last line of defense against the government. That's and true. So I won't get. I won't get into all that today. Freedom. Freedom. To- totally. Yeah. It. It is. There's a lot of work to it. I mean, just like with doctors, a lot of work with the the legal side. As much as we like to rag on folks, yeah. I mean, there's some intense studying going on. It's not your average communications class. Yeah. No. And I, you know, I really I enjoyed law school. I mean, I um. I loved reading the the cases and I loved uh, like trial advocacy classes, like my favorite class, so like being in court, cool. like I was like totally hooked. Um, but you know, I, I also had this kind of background of like, you know, I've been tweaking with websites and you know, even in undergrad, I was like building, we would like buy all the parts and build all our own computers and stuff. So I was like into that technology stuff. And so uh, this was like a great intersection between, um, you know, entrepreneurial endeavor, uh, being able to work still with a lot of uh, colleagues that were in law, um, always new problems to solve, like really, and you know, let's face it, sometimes like I'm uh, quote unquote general counsel for my businesses. So when those issues come up, I've sure. had those conversations too. So uh, I'm sure. the legal department. You're a great guy to have around when those questions come up. <laughs> well, I, th- I appreciate that you have that perspective. They probably heard your disclaimer a couple of times though. Well, right. now I'm not uh, officially uh, this, like, I'm not a contract lawyer these days, but let me tell you how this. Exactly. Um, right. And we, and we obviously retain <laughs> outside counsel to make sure oh, that I'm for not sure. screwing everything up. For sure. Now question, when you were, you know, back in school in Michigan, you know, classmates with Tom Brady, uh, right. Philosophy. Oh man, Tom. <laughs> Were you at the same Tom's time? Terrific. Yeah. In fact, I worked at, a, I, I'll tell you this and, um, people had different experiences with, uh, Mr. Brady, but uh, I worked at a, I was a bartender at a bar, uh, that he came in uh, periodically. Super nice guy. He was very cool. nice, but you know, he also wasn't, you know, world champion, the, the goat Tom Brady back then. Sure. Right? <laughs> yeah. so, was he like a backup quarterback for a while too backup quarterback even... yeah we had drew henson too um at that time i think drew henson started tom's junior year he vent brady's started some of the games but he wasn't like it wasn't he wasn't like the way you think about him now but uh, yeah was very, it wasn't uh, johnny was very, football but look how it worked yeah out he was a very nice i mean i always say he was, he was a nice guy uh, i thought but well, that's good. Good to yeah. hear. Good, good yeah. to hear. Yeah, I'm a total Michigan homer, though. So I'm not the wrong. <laughs> if you're asking for a critical opinion of Mich- former Michigan players from like the late 90s, like don't come to me because I am so biased. Like Charles Woodson's my favorite player all time. All time? All time. Oh, you know, there's the I, code I like defense, after all. Though. I, I, so, I, so I coached. I was what a defensive coordinator in my high school for a handful of years. That's probably, you know, uh, thinking back to Little Gee, I guess that was medium-sized Gee. Yeah. Uh, that's the thing that I missed the most. Uh, I loved coaching football. Um, so, and it's been moving to Chicago. I tried to do it uh, a season. It's just, it's just too hard and it's different in the city. But um, defense, man, I love defense. It's, it really is fascinating. You know, what, one of the things I, I did was I, was I was trying to play Madden, right? And you, have you played Madden? It's probably like a dumb question. So uh, has, has your coaching and your experience with football helped you play Madden better? Yeah, it, it actually it has. It, it helps me. I, well, I think now like the, the, the Madden players now that are good, like they all know all this stuff. But yeah. um, 
you do look at the game differently when you coach. Um, right. So like scheme selection, um, you know, I think a lot of these, you know, these professional Madden players, like they, they, this is all second nature to them. But like, right. I always, I even noticed what I really noticed two things I really noticed after coaching. One is that pros have terrible fundamentals. They just really? get away with it because they're so talented. So like, so I was a, um, I was a D coordinator, but I, I position coached linebackers and defensive line. Okay. And so like you, you watch D line, like you watch, if you ever get your hands on the tight shot, which is like the end zone cam of okay. the, um, a professional football game, you'll see defensive linemen doing stuff that are like, it's just so unorthodox. And you know, part of that is, is that they're so good that they can, they know the rules and they can break the rules. But like so many times you're just like, Oh, that is just fundamentally so unsound, but it doesn't matter because they're just so fast and so talented. Uh, but that, that was one thing that really struck me after coaching, after watching games is like, I watched games so differently. Like I'm watching like interior line play where I would like never watch that when I was just like a regular fan. Right. You know, I, I realized this and my brother's pretty good at, at Madden. And so I was like, I need an edge. Like I, I played soccer. I didn't play football. So I, I when I look at the defense or, or the offense, I have no idea what they're doing, you know? And, and so, you know, the idea of like a cover, I would be like, Ooh, let's cover a lot of people or let's just blitz. Like it was kind of like backyard football. So I was looking for books to try to learn more about it. And the challenge was that it was like, um, there's the easy one where it's like a touchdown is six points with it. You know, I was like, okay, okay. I got, I got that. And then, then there's the extreme stuff where you can't even read it. It's like Greek, which probably right. you'd be reading. But I huh. found this book called take your eye off the ball. And it was like a workbook. And, and it, and it, even the idea, take your eye off of it. It's not the ball necessarily. It's everything that's going on around it. And I was able to use that to, to pick up. Oh, okay. I see what's going on here. Is this, is this a man? Is this zone? It, like it, it's interesting that you can use that real life strategy and then kind of emulate that into a game. So I can only imagine what it's like to control real people or not control, but like try to direct real people and coach them into being successful. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, like that's the thing too, is like my mom, when I was growing up, she was not a football fan at all. Like, so I started out playing soccer. I was actually good enough to, I played travel team soccer for oh, years sick. before yeah, yeah. I uh, played football, but I fell in love with football and that was it. But my mom, I was, my mom was always like, I don't understand. I don't understand this game. Like I understand why you like it so much. And I was like, it's like, to me, it's like chess. I mean, there is so much going, there are so many nuances to the game. And I think that's true of like most team sports. Right. Um, but football has so much of that going on, that strategy and pre-snap reads and all that kind of stuff that if you really dive in it's like you unpack it and it's like wow there's so much going on here that most fans never even see right and I, I think back to the patriots playing seattle not to totally to make this a sports show i <laughs> just watched this on youtube and it was that whole butler interception um at, at like the goal line and people like man that's amazing actually that's amazing but actually like a researcher had identified the play the team had practiced it each and every guy in that position had had like three to six reps that play alone and when butler had practiced it he like missed it didn't work out um and so they had practiced that and so when they saw the lineup they they saw that and so to your point there's this prep that if you're just eating popcorn drinking beer you're gonna enjoy it too but there's that other layer there's many other layers beneath it of of the research and the practice and the prep and what kind of plays and trick people and that kind of thing yeah no i'm i'm a I'm so hooked on it. It's like, it's probably one of my biggest vices. I mean, I, I do the fantasy thing. I'm just totally. Are you? 
That's awesome. Fantasy for me is like a donation to a nonprofit. <laughs> you know, some guys in my league that say the same thing. I'll, Cause I'm the commissioner and I'll be like, Hey, are you playing this year? And they're like, just take my money and then don't bother me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just give me Tom Brady. You draft everybody else to your own teams. You'll be fine. <laughs> uh, that's awesome, man. So one last question, I'll let you go. Um, if you were to give advice to yourself at, at the beginning of this marketing legal career, like looking back, you've been doing this for you said 10 plus years now. What would you tell yourself? What would you advise yourself if you're a counsel to yourself many moons ago? That's a great question. Um, you know, I think my, my biggest thing would be to implement some of the culture stuff that we do as a business earlier. So um, we run on EOS now the, from the uh, popular book Traction. We do too. And, we do too. Uh, That's a whole yeah. other topic right there. But yeah, yeah. So, so focusing on that earlier, like that really was like, we, we've only been doing it for like a year and a half and it's just been a game changer for us. Um, wow. We also, I'm a big fan of the, um, there's a book called the culture blueprint. It's uh, one of the former, I don't know, I can't remember his specific role, but he, he helped build the cult, the, not the most recent iteration, but an iteration or two before at Zappos. Um, you know, just talking mission, vision, values, hiring for people in the right fit. I think when you're starting a business, so, talking back to myself back then, uh, you know, I'm so focused on the work, but culture happens whether you do it intentionally or not. And so if you're not focused on it, it can grow unhealthy and toxic. And so um, I think that's the biggest thing that I, I've learned in the last few years. That's just, we really made it a priority and it really makes all the difference in the world. That's awesome. It's kind of full circle back to, it's what really matters is that it's like that core foundation for you. Yeah. Yeah. We're, I mean, be, uh, being aligned, like, you know, it's just like, not to take it back to football, but like yeah. getting the right players in the right positions, like in business, like there's no, there's a lot less um, right way. There's not like the right offense to run, but having those core principles of like, you know, alignment on mission, vision, values, uh, structure in place, like that, that framework that you like, again, like, I, I think that's the thing for us is like a lot of the stuff we knew, but like really having like the framework, you know, it's like you, it's like going to the gym, like, you know, yeah. you got to go to the gym and I got to do some working out, but like really having the right plan to be able to go yeah. and execute on that. That's been like hugely different for us. Today is an arms day. I'm going to do some cardio and I'm going to do this. Right. Well, yeah. well, we do, but every day is an arms day. That's true. Some kind of something on your arm. <laughs> got to do legs. We got to do legs. Yeah. Legs day is the worst, right? Mm-hmm. So no one wants to do legs day. <laughs> no one wants to do legs day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, this is fantastic, man. Where can people connect with you? um linkedin twitters throw some links yeah you i mean you can the fortunate thing with my crazy name you can really just search my name and you'll find everywhere i come up but uh, i'm most active i would say on twitter at geesakalakis also on linkedin same thing i'm uh i don't really i don't i didn't do the like uh insta gear i mean i'm on instagram but it's just my name again i figure i'm just gonna be me yeah so um and you can go to attorneysync.com if you want to read more about our business but um yeah i would say I'm happy to answer questions. Uh, anybody that's out there that's interested in legal marketing in general or just search in general, I'm always open to, um, you know, love meeting people, having conversation and uh, open invite to you, sir. If you ever find yourself in the frozen north near Lake Michigan, uh, what part? Grab coffee or what anything. part are you in? Uh, I'm, I'm in the city. I'm in Chicago. Okay. Uh, okay, great. Yeah, I was yeah. just in Grand Rapids. So, okay. Yeah, my, yeah, my business partner easier. actually grew up in Grand Rapids. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, man. Next time I'm in Chicago, I'll, I'll reach out. 
We'll talk yeah. some more football, some more EOS. It'll be fun. Yeah. Well, I, I, did, I, did I notice that you're in the same EO Facebook group that I'm in? Are we in the same group? I think so. <laughs> I think, I think you responded well? to something. Oh, geez. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Small so, world. So, but hey, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed talking to you today. Um, so thank you. Yeah. No, actually, thank you for being here. Um, we, I've learned a lot. I know my team's going to learn a lot from this and then everyone that's listening as well. Um, it, it's almost like skimming the surface on the legal side, but I love that we're saying like, look, just, you know, you don't need to push those boundaries. Just think about good marketing and taking care of your, your prospects. So thanks again. The right thing. And then for everyone out there listening, if you learned something and I know you did, cause I literally have notes over here, pages of notes, then, um, share this with someone, get it out in their hands, be a thought leader for someone else by just sharing even a tidbit, a quote, one of the approaches to SEO, to podcast or football and, uh, and be someone else's hero. Uh, so thanks again, Key. I appreciate it, man. Thank you, KZ. Have a great day and keep up the great work. Will do. And for everyone else out there, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. See y'all next time. Yeah.